You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. So we're, uh, we're going to be continuing uh, our series here on emotionally healthy spirituality. And uh, just to catch you up, if you're, if you're new to this, so we're, we're, doing two, we're using two books, and we're going through this in our, in our midweeks. If you are not, you know, you're not going through it or you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. You'll still, you'll still get something out of being here today. Uh, but the idea is we're trying to go deeper with God. So that we're trying to go deeper in our walk with God. And some of it's uncomfortable. Some of it we like, some we don't like. You know, it's just you know, that kind of thing. So this book, though, is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And each week is kind of covering a different area and going deeper in your walk with God. And, uh, and then we talk about it in our, in our midweek. And then there's another book called Day to Day, which is giving you uh, some, some daily office, they call it, some, some moments of devotional time throughout your day to sort of stop what you're doing, take two minutes of silence, and just be with God. And so the idea is going deeper with God in, 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 that, uh, in that spirituality, that, that just kind of stillness and solitude, and then also kind of reflecting more on kind of the deeper stuff in your own heart that's below the surface from the book. So it's been good. Um, so I'm t- going to cover two weeks from the book in, in one week, because next week we have our regional service at Miracosta High School. That will be focused on our mission work around the world and uh, kind of a different focus. So I'm going to try to cover two weeks in, in today's lesson, just kind of giving you a, like, like a flyover of, of these two areas. And so the two chapters are Number one, going back in order to go forward, and number two, journey through the wall. And so this last week we were talking about kind of knowing yourself, understanding your feelings better, being willing to admit that you have feelings, and uh, you know, kind of wrestling with those feelings. And then, uh, and then now this next one, going back to, in order to go forward, that's like talking about your family of origin, where you come from, and how you grew up, and what kind of stuff was valued in your family, and sort of what made you who you are. You may, maybe if, if we want to run away from it, it's still... It's still stuff that, you know, it's our family of origins, where we came from, and how that really affects us in a lot of ways. And so we got to at least acknowledge it or deal with it or, or, or be, you know, confront it. And then the journey through the wall is about the dark night of the soul, just that you're going to have some time when you hit a wall spiritually, where you just go, all of your, everything you thought was true is kind of up in the air, and you, 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 nothing you, that worked before is working anymore, and you just kind of, God makes you go, I, I got to rethink everything, and you just hit a wall, and, and so that's the, the journey through the wall book, so I'm going to say a, a bit of prayer, I'm going to go grab my water, let's just take a minute to pray on your own for a second, and then I'll continue the prayer, and then we're going to jump into Acts 22. God, it's just great to sing to you. It's great to express ourselves in, in, in lyric and in song, and um, it's great to be together. And Father, I thank you that, that we can open your word together and read and worship and have freedom to be able to, to worship in this space together like this. And, um, and thank you for the community that we're part of and the, and the relationships that we have in this room. Just pray you speak to all of us from your Holy Spirit right now as we open your word. And uh, pray that his voice would be the voice that we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So uh, we're going to look at these different things from these chapters by looking at a character in the Bible, a real important person in the Bible, and that is the Apostle Paul. If it wasn't for Paul, arguably a lot of us wouldn't be here today, or maybe, maybe God would have been used somebody else, but God really used Paul in an incredible way. And I think he experienced both of these things. He, his family of origin was really important to make him who he was, and then he, he definitely went through a couple different walls, I think, uh, in his life. So we're going we're gonna to look at three passages of Scripture. We're going to do a little bit more reading than we normally do uh, on a Sunday, just a little bit more from the, uh, from the text. So uh, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but those are the three uh, Scriptures we're going to be reading from. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I bet you have a smartphone. <laughs> and if you have a smartphone, all you do is Google what's on the screen and you'll get that scripture uh, pop up so we, we can read together. Uh, so let's start in Acts 22. First thing we're going to talk about starting point. We're going to st- talk about where did Paul start from? What was his family of origin? And uh, so in Acts 22, verse 2, where we are in the story is Paul has already become a Christian. He's had a, a ministry going for a while. He's gone in, into these different cities and planted churches and then he, he, he really felt called to go back to his origin, back to Jerusalem. And he was warned not to do that because of different persecutions that he might face. Uh, but he, he was just determined, i got to go back to Jerusalem. So he visited all the churches where he had, had plant, planted churches, all those cities where he planted churches on his way back. He was also collecting, taking up a collection for Jerusalem because there was a famine there and, and, and poverty in the city. A lot of the Christians in Jerusalem were very poor. And so they were taking a... Uh, a collection with him, but when he gets to Jerusalem, he has this big um, confrontation with the religious leaders of the city, and, he, and, and it's almost a riot, or it is a riot that's going on. He gets them all to calm down. He's, he gets them to calm down by speaking uh, Aramaic, which is the, the, the language of the Hebrews at the time, so he's getting them to, to quiet down by speaking their language. This is kind of where he's from. This is his people, but now he, in, in their minds, he's deviated, and he's gone way off the rails. But he quiets them down by speaking their language. In verse 2, it says, When they heard him speaking to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, meaning Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Now, Gamaliel was a really famous, well-known teacher of the law, very respected, and everybody knew who he was. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them in prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went on from there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So, so Paul's family of origin, he was born in a city called Tarsus, which is up north of Jerusalem, and it's a crossroads, and it was a very prominent trade city in the Roman Empire. And he was born a Roman citizen uh, because of, of where he was in the city. It's probably his family had some, some money, and somehow he's able to be a Roman. He's able to be a Roman citizen. So his, his Roman name is Paul. He's given a Latin name as, because he's a Roman citizen. His, his Jewish name is Saul. And, uh, but he, early, he says, early in life, I, I was brought to this city. I was brought up in this city. So he, he grew up in Jerusalem. And, and so he grew up in, studying the, the text, studying the, the, the scriptures under a, a really gifted teacher. So he kind of went to like the best of the best school in a way for the Jews. 
best of the best education, the top of his class. He would have been valedictorian. He would have been, you know, won all the academic awards for the Jews. Like that's kind of the, the, the place he came from, very highly educated, uh, but also kind of a, a, a multicultural uh, experience because he was from this city uh, that was very Hellenized, very, very much the Greek culture and Roman culture in Tarsus. So he, he knew that culture really, really well. So he could kind of culture shift or, you know, shift into different, uh, you know, kinds of, uh, of worldviews because of, of his background. And he was also a Pharisee. He doesn't say it here, but he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were people who, the, the way that they responded to Rome, there's different Jewish groups that responded in different ways. The way the Pharisees responded was by going, we need to be really, really devout. We need to be people of the text. We need to be so incredibly devout by following the laws of Scripture, by keeping the Scripture kind of surrounding ourselves around the text, that that, that way eventually we will bring about the new, the new Jerusalem, the new creation, the new, uh, the new order, the new you know, the, the Messiah and all that will come about when we are refined, when we are good enough, you know, we have to do enough, enough uh, we, we have to follow this religious, be pious enough that eventually the kingdom will come. That's kind of the, the, the Pharisee mentality. And, uh, and they expected the, the kingdom to come with a re- restoration of Jerusalem as a political power, restoration of Israel as a political power, overthrow of the Romans, the Messiah to be a, a pious political figure and, uh, and so those are kind of some of their expectations. I put in the, uh, if you go back later and you look at the, the, the video description for today's lesson, I put a link there to a Bema episode that's all about uh, the, the Pharisees. So if you want to learn more about the Pharisees' background, it's kind of interesting. But that's the worldview that Paul was coming from. And the, the, his family of origin was this very religious, super important how you act, super important what you do. Super important, uh, you know, that, that you are very pious, very committed. The Bible, you know, is super, really important. And, uh, and, and you have to push against culture. That's where he kind of came from. You, you, we're, we're trying to push against culture and be our own people that are, are different, right? That, that's the Pharisee mindset. Um, and all of, us have, all of us have some kind of family origin. All of us have some kind of cultural uh, background that we that we come from, uh, you know, and, and what our family was like, where we grew up, and and uh, you know what we what we expect of people and what we think about people, and 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 some of us are more in touch with us with it than others. Some of us are more you know aware of it than others. You know, Rico shared last week right about you you shared about your family of origin. You said where you grew up, and you 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 didn't ha- you didn't see white people much, or I can't remember what you said, you know, <laughs> but it was something that he said. Where he grew up, I remember going, okay, I learned a little bit about Rico there. And, uh, you know, but we all have a culture, right? We all have some, th- some place we come from. Where I came from, I, there wasn't a lot of black people, Rico. You know, there was, there was just a few black people. You know, one was the president of my high school. And, and so I grew up, you know, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what it was like to grow up with only black people until I went to college. And then I had friends that were black. And then they would, uh, you know, teach me and show me things and, 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 and he, you know, I had this one roommate who would take me and hang out with the, the, uh, the, the football players at CU, you know, because uh, he was friends with all of them. He was an athlete. And so, like, Eric Bieniemy, who's now the uh, – he's the offensive coach for who? Kansas City, yeah. So he was a player at CU at the time. So I remember meeting him and all these just huge black guys, you know, and I'm just this teen. I was way smaller than I even am now, you know. And uh, it was just a, it was a cultural experience. It was awesome. But, uh, 
But we all have a culture, and, and, and some of us want to push against that. I mean, I had a long conversation with somebody back when we were doing that, that book on cultural humility. Um, they, they, wouldn't, they refused to even read the book because they said, oh, that's liberal or that has this agenda. Or it's, you know, and, and, but they wouldn't even read it, and it's like, that book is only scriptures, and it's just talking about the kingdom and scriptures and Bible. It's just Bible. It's not political at all. But, but some of us kind of bristle, and, and, and this person said, I, you know, what do, what's all this talk about culture? My culture is I'm American, and all of us have the same culture. We're all American, and that's our culture. It's like, okay, well, what you're displaying is that you have a culture that makes you view culture in that way. You know, that's, you know, so you're just, you're just saying you have a culture by saying that. You know, like we all have some reference point. We all have a certain lens that we look the world through, the, at the world through. And that's important to know because otherwise we're not going to understand each other. And we're not going to understand even kind of maybe what causes conflict sometimes because, because we just think our way is the way, you know, or whatever. And it's like there's not one way or another way that's right it's just we're all and all all of us it's freeing to just go it's okay I, I this is who I am this is how I grew up right this is this is where I come from and 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 there's things that some of us like embrace that some of us like we're trying to run away we left home early we're trying to get away from that but it still kind of haunts us you know what I mean so that's the kind of stuff that the book deals with and uh and for Paul Paul was he had a lot of really good stuff you know, he had a lot of really good stuff. But he was wrong about one really, really, really important thing, which is what? Jesus, right? He was, he was so zealous for his faith that he is on his way to have Christians arrested. I mean, he was very, very wrong. And so we can be completely wrong about something, uh, but, 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 but still, you know, be... be we think we're right. You know, we, we're, we're really, we, we think this is the way the whole world works, and that's what Paul thought. So his worldview was rocked. Let's keep reading here. It says, About noon I came near Damascus. Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Okay, so let's just take a minute and think about this. Go back into the story. Uh, You know, I might have gotten your mind on something else talking about your family of origin and culture. and I might have stirred the pot a little bit. So just forget that. Let's go back to... Let's go back to Paul here for a minute. Stirring the pot is good, as long as we stay, you know, good in the way we talk to each other. But, but let's go back to Paul. So think about being Paul. Think about what's important to you. Think about growing up. You know, you're from Tarsus, but, and so you've seen the whole Gentile world, but you've pushed against that. That is all totally wrong. And then, you, you know, you grew up in Jerusalem, and you hear this stuff about Jesus, and then you see these people. They're already Hellenized Jews, meaning they're already trying to kind of be both. Like they're trying to be Jewish, but they're also trying to kind of embrace the Greek culture. Paul's not that. Paul's a Pharisee. Pharisees are like not about Hebraic stuff. No, I mean, not about Hellenized stuff, not about Greek stuff. And, and these, those are the ones who are becoming Christians for the most part at the beginning. They were the, these Hebraic, uh, Hellenized Jews, the Jews that were, they were Jewish, but they were also, you know how even today you have Jews that are like really into it, and then you have Jews that are 
you know, yeah, it's, they're kind of into it. <laughs> okay, it was the same back then. So the ones that are Hellenized are the ones that become So you're already like, you're already kind of down on these Jews. But now they're saying this guy is the Messiah who's like, he's from Nazareth. He's not, he's not a king. He's, you know, he, he, there's no, how could this guy be the Messiah? I mean, you're just, you think they're so wrong. And so you're on your way. You've gotten letters because you have to do everything right by the law. So it has to be official. So you got your letters, right, from the people who are in charge, and that's why you're in Jerusalem, and you got the letters that say, yes, it's okay, I can, I can take these people and I can throw them in prison, and you're on the way literally to do that, and then, boom, this event happens. He's literally, like, knocked off his horse and struck with blindness, and Jesus himself is speaking to him. Wow. His whole worldview has just been rocked, right? His whole worldview has just... Uh, been rocked. And, and, and that, a lot of times for us, that's how a lot of us became Christians, is something happened that rocked our worldview. Something happened that shook us up. Maybe not all of us, but a lot of us, you know, we, we hit a crisis moment. And that's kind of what the wall is about, is like a crisis moment. Some of us might have had a health crisis, or you've gone through a divorce, or some kind of breakup, or maybe you had an abortion, or you had some kind of loss, some kind of some kind of thing that happened in your, in your life or in your family that made you go, rethink everything. That's kind of what, what Paul is going through. I mean, I, I'll never forget this sister sharing her testimony in Colorado when I was a, in college. I was an intern. And she had, uh, she, she had been on this trip, and she was in a horrible accident. She was paralyzed from the neck down. But the whole thing made her become a Christian. And her perspective on it was like, I would rather live, you know, for 50 years or 60 years or 70 years, however long I live, paralyzed and go to heaven than be on the journey I was on. And so she saw this as like, thank God that I went through that. I mean, because it it led me to Jesus. And that's the reason I became a Christian. I mean, that's a pretty awesome perspective, you know, that that she had about it. But, but, But it's that kind of moment, just a crisis, you know, moment for him. Uh, let's keep reading here in verse 12. It says, A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and hear words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. See, God uses others. When we're in these crises moments, it's interesting, God uses Ananias. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, because some of us, we don't want to be dependent on other people. You know, we want to just, I just want to do it all myself. Like, I just, give me the Bible, I just want to become a Christian on my own, and I'll let you know when I'm a Christian. You know, like, we just... We just want to do it all ourselves, and and uh, and yet God and, and I think Paul was somebody like that probably. You know that he was he was the valedictorian guy. He was the I'm in, you know I, I I got it all. I'm I'm in control guy. The, the the Pharisee mindset, and 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 it's amazing. God strikes him with blindness. I mean, what is more debilitating than immediately just instantaneously you're blind? I mean, picture that if right now. For the rest of the day, you can't see anything. And it's instant. You weren't prepared. Like, you, we didn't have it, you didn't have time to get ready. You know what I mean? You're suddenly completely dependent for everything. I mean, you can't eat. You can't, 
you can't lie down to rest. You can't go to the bathroom. I mean, you know what I mean? You, 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 you're completely dependent. And, and so spiritually as well, he sends this guy Ananias to him. I don't know Ananias' credentials. When God first tells Ananias to go, Ananias is like, no. <laughs> God, I don't think you understand who this guy is. You know, he tries to explain to God what Saul's been doing. And Saul's like, no, I know, I know, I know, I know who he is. Now go. Um, so he goes, but, but, but trust that God has a plan for you and trust who God puts in your life. You might be like, well, I don't like that person God put in my life. Well, have a conversation with God about it. You know, maybe God will put somebody else in your life. But you, if you're going to follow God, you've got to put yourself under the authority of other people. And just under, you've got to respect other people. You've got to let other people into your life. And there's something about that. So like, like for the teenagers, you know, you know, you, you guys grow up knowing the scriptures, you hear it, but, but there's something different about going, I want to follow, I want to, you know, teach me. That, that, that thing of saying, hey, would you teach me? And, and, and I want to open the Bible together and be willing to, to let somebody into my life. That's a whole different thing than just, you know, coming to church and hearing, hearing the old people like me talk. And, you know. <laughs> so if you haven't done that yet, teens, I want to encourage you to just ask somebody, hey, would you study the Bible with me? Would you be willing to to show me what, what this is all about, what he's talking about. Not, even Paul needed that. Even Paul, who knew, he had that memorized, right? But he still needed somebody. And even though Jesus himself appeared to him, he still needed to, what does it say in verse 16? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. You know, we still need that, that step of baptism, repentance and baptism. Even this guy who he was kind of super religious, super perfect, you know, in, in a, the, the law, he still needed to wash his sins away. Even though Jesus himself appeared to him, he still needed baptism. So that's why in our church we practice baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. Because even Paul, even a guy who Jesus appeared to, needed to be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. So, so do the rest of us, right? So God uses others. Then in verse 17, it says, I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another in prison and beat those who, belonged to, who believed to you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of the men who were killing him. That was part of his story as well, seeing Stephen killed. And that's a, a story in Acts 7. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to read it. The Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So God himself gave him this commission to go to the Gentiles. Jesus himself tells him, you're, you're my messenger to the Gentiles, which is everyone in the world that's not a Jew. <laughs> that's a pretty big mission field, right? Um, and and th- this is so ironic. You know, Paul is more Jewish than any of Jesus' apostles, I mean, he's more Jewish than any, I mean, he studied under Gamaliel. Peter, he has a conversation later with Peter, like, Peter in, in Galatians, where he tells Peter, Peter, so what happens is Peter is the leader. He's the big guy Jesus chose. Peter is in Antioch. He's hanging out with the Gentiles. You know, I, I had that time with Cornelius. I learned it's okay. We can hang out together now. But then some guys from Jerusalem come, and these are guys who are like, no, no, we don't hang out with Jerusalem. Gentiles were Jews. So Peter sees those guys come, and it changes himself. It changes how he acts. Now, we could be down on Peter, but I know all of us have done that, you know, where other people affect how we act. So those guys come. Now he's dissing the Gentiles. He's like, oh, I'm not hanging out with them anymore. Now I'm just with these guys. Paul is at Antioch. He sees that happen, and Paul says, I rebuked him to his face. You know, Paul, 
Paul doesn't mince words, you know, in Galatians. And he tells him, Peter, you're not even, you're not even a very good Jew. You know, why are you doing this? And, and, but I love the story because, so first of all, leaders will hurt you. If you're in the church, leaders will do boneheaded things sometimes. We're not here for leaders. We're here for God. So even Peter, even the guy Jesus chose, think if you're one of those Gentiles who he did that to. You're like, oh, my church hurt me. The, the leader hurt me. I can't go to this church anymore. Well, it's still Jesus' church. The leader screwed up. The leader sinned. And he got rebuked. And he changed. Amen. You know, like, we're all sinners. We're all in this together. But, but what I love is that what you, if you just look at the language that Paul used with Peter, and then you look in Acts 15, which is where the whole, it becomes a crisis for the whole movement, a whole family of churches. Do people coming to faith have to be Jewish as well? Because the, the, the most straightforward reading of the Bible, it seems like they probably do need to be Jews. They need to, they need to follow. I mean, we, we just assume, no, 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 that's crazy. But if you really study it, if you really study what all the Old Testament says and what was predicted about the kingdom and all that, it talks about the, the word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem and all the Gentiles will come to Jerusalem. They will submit to her rules. I mean, you know, it sounds like we need to all become Jews. So it becomes this crisis point, but in Acts 15, Peter's the one who really speaks up and says, guys, we have not even been very good Jews. And we haven't even kept the law. So why are we going to make them keep the law? You know, and, and Peter's, Peter's language, it's like that talk Paul had with him, which I believe comes before, it really affected Peter. And so Peter becomes the voice that, and Paul was there too, but Paul is, Paul's not one of the in crowd yet in Acts 15. He's kind of the, on the out still. And, and so Peter's the one that says, no, what Paul's doing, he's right. And this is totally, this is of God. And, you know, I, I can't get too into it, but it's so interesting how God used Paul's family of origin. God used Peter's family of origin, this fisherman, this unschooled, ordinary guy uh, who did what wasn't studied. And then, but God uses this guy who was really studying top, top of his class. Peter becomes the the the, the ambassador, the, the, the uh, apostle to the Jews. Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. You see how that's kind of odd? You would think it would be the opposite, right? But this is how the Holy Spirit works. This is how God uses our family of origin and uses our past. So I just say that to say your family of origin is part of who you are. It is, like this book will say, it's part of what makes you who you are. But the thing is, it doesn't limit who you are. It doesn't limit who you are. It's a starting point. It's a starting point, and, and it's part of what God loves about you. you got to believe that. It's part of what God loves about you. You go, well, but, God, oh, but my family, or but, my, but this, but that. It's part of what God loves. It's part of your story. It's who you are. You know, God loves that about you. God loves who you came from, who you are, who you came from. And it's part of his redemptive plan for the world to win the nations. There might be things about your background God can use you in a way he could never, ever use me because I just don't have that in my toolbox. But there might be things about my background that God could use that he, he couldn't use you in that way because it's not in your toolbox. It's part of God's redemptive story of moving forward. And so second thing here, moving forward, i got to move forward more quickly. <laughs> Philippians 3. Uh, turn to Philippians 3, 4 through 17. So we all have our starting point, but then we all move forward. And let's just look at, at um, Paul's perspective of his past. Philippians 3, 4, it says, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Whoa! You know, and Paul just said in Philippians 2, we got to be humble. But he's like, look, guys, I was perfect. There is nobody, there is nobody that did it better than me. There was nobody that could put more confidence in their Jewishness than I could. That's pretty, that's pretty hardcore to be able to say that, right? That's where he came from. He said, with the law, I was faultless. I, you know, I never broke a single Jewish law. I mean, that's what he's saying. I mean, he might be losing a little bit of hyperbole here, but he's trying to make the point. He's like, I was a Pharisee, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was a Jew of Jews. And yet he says, verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says all that stuff, all the, the, the family that it came from, the, the origin, who I was, that's all garbage compared to Jesus. Like, I am pressing on. And he says, forgetting what is behind. Does he mean like he literally forgetting? I don't think... I think he means like he forgot it, but it's a perspective, right? It's a mindset. I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward towards being more like Jesus, towards knowing Christ, towards being like Christ. That's where I'm going. So here's a quote from the, the book. The great news of Christianity is that your family of orange does not determine your future. God does. What has gone before you is not your destiny. The most significant language in the New Testament is for becoming a Christian is adoption into the family of God. So God has now adopted you, and he has a plan for you, and we got to move forward. And, and I like what Paul says next. All of us then who are more mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Paul's like, if you're mature, you should think like I'm saying. If you're mature, you should think like me. And if not, if you think differently, God's going to make that clear to you. Just wait. <laughs> you know, I, I, love, I love Paul. So then he says, verse 17, Join together then in following my example. And just so you've seen us, keep a, uh, look, look at us as an example. So I, I do, I want to look at Paul as an example. I want to be like that. I want to press on. I want to have the, the value uh, uh, towards the, the future that, that Paul had. And I want to see my past as part of where I'm going to being used by God. There's a, a story, a great story by a sister in Russia named Ksenia Kalmakova. Uh, it's from the disciples today. I put a, I put a link in our, our uh, video description today, and maybe I'll email it out to you today as well. She shares the story of these different crises of faith that she went through. 
And uh, she says, looking back, I see a lot of pain and, and shed tears and fear, disappointment, confusion, and loneliness. And I know that many of us have been through such moments, moments that have destroyed and hurt us. However, I can say that those moments have made me who I am today and have brought me closer to God. Those moments have revealed to me the heart of Jesus, helped me to come to God and to keep my faith. And then she talks through these different crises that she went through and how God used them and just to move forward, to, to keep going and, and to make her better. And, uh, you know, so our origin stories of our past, they're part of our past. They're part of what makes us who, they, who we are, but they don't have to define us. And lastly, I want to talk about going through the wall, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 12, 6 through 10. So Paul, you know, fast forward now. He's many years of ministry. He's built all these churches. He's seen all these amazing things happen. Uh, he's still, you know, it's a struggle because people don't necessarily, uh, some people like him. Some people don't like him. Some people are, you know, think he's a legit apostle, something he's not a legit apostle. Sometimes he'll even plant a church and he'll build the church and then other people come in, other leaders, and then they'll kind of get people who are now in there to go, yeah, Paul's not really that great. And Paul's like, hey, I mean, what, what, I'm the one that, you, you guys wouldn't even be here if I hadn't like started the church there, you know, come on, if, it's surely, surely if anybody's on my side, it's you guys, you know. You see that in some of his letters, and, and, and in Corinthians is, is kind of like that, this, this section of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, where he's talking about all the things that he's been through, and he's kind of trying to defend his, his apostleship, but he talks about some amazing things that he's seen, and he says, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I'm boasting like a fool, keep in mind I'm a fool right now, but I'm just going to tell you all the reasons I have to boast, and he's just telling him all these ways God has used him and all the things that he's done, and, uh, but he ends it with this, which is so interesting in verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, uh, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So Paul is later into his ministry, he's done all these things, and he, and he says, God wants to keep me from becoming conceited, and so he gave me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that means, there's been a lot of conjecture about what that means, what was his thorn in the flesh. I don't think it was like, I don't think this is a literal, I don't think literally there was a messenger from Satan. Knocks on the door, hey, I'm a messenger from Satan, I'm here, with, what, what do you got? I have a thorn. Oh, what is that? I'm going to put it in your flesh. No, that's not what it is, right? So it's some kind of... In the flesh means it's something physical, some kind of physical ailment probably, uh, some kind of health crisis maybe, something that, you know, he didn't like, he didn't, it was painful probably if it's a thorn. You know, think of, I mean, if I get the tiniest, I can barely see the splinter and it's all I can think about. You know what I mean? So I mean, think about a big old, big old thorn, you know, it's something that he does not want. And he says he pleaded three times to take it away. And that's a literary thing in, 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 in Jewish literature, three times. That just means I kept on. You know, like Jesus praying three times. It might not even mean that it was just three times. It's just like it's, it's a constant refrain, again and again and again. Like we might say again and again and again. We don't say again and again and again and again, <laughs> right? So three times I pleaded with the Lord, like, take it away. So he, it's just this constant thing to God. I, I don't like this. Take it away. I don't want this. And... Uh, there's a lot, I don't have time to get into this, but the whole idea of Satan and God and how, what is Satan allowed to do by God and how, why does God allow it? And that's this whole, it's a whole area of study called theodicy. Like, how is God fair? 
the book of Job, you know, the interaction between Satan and, and God in, in the book of Job. And, and Job doesn't even know any of that's happening, right? He doesn't even get an answer. God doesn't say, well, Satan did this and that, and I told him I stuck up for you. God's answer is, hey, who do you think you are? And do, can you make this? Look at the universe. Look at the world. Look at all these animals. Can you make those? Job's like, no. Okay, then you should shut up. And da- Job's like, okay, I shut up. So, so, so this, you know, we don't know all of this. I don't, we don't understand all this interaction. What, what is Satan? What is God? And, and, and I put another link uh, in the show notes <laughs> today for that. Um, a great article about Satan versus God in, in, in David's temptation. And uh, anyway, I, I, I got to move on. But, but, uh, but uh, I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't like the idea of God allowing any suffering, you know, for myself. I just, I just want everything to be good and comfortable and everybody get along but that's heaven right that's not here and so we have sufferings we have injustice we have weakness we have failure we have we have chronic health issues we have death we have mourning we have longing we have you know we have grief we have loss and that's part of this world that we're in and so we're gonna hit a wall at some point that involves one of those things some kind of suffering or some kind of crisis of faith. And there's a, a, a slide I want to put on, on the screen. This is from the book. He talks about these different stages that we go through in our Christian development, that we go through this life-changing awareness of God. You know, we become a Christian, and, and we go through learning and, and discipleship and growing, and we're, we're coming along in our faith, and wow, this is amazing. I'm so happy to be a Christian, and how come everybody's in a Christian? And this is incredible. And you tell your family, you know, what's wrong with you? You believe that? You know, look at the Bible. It's amazing. And everybody should be a Christian. And then, and then stage three, you're serving and you're doing stuff and you're, 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 you're moving along. And then look at that bold text, the wall. Oh, <laughs> this is why everybody's not a Christian. You know, you, all of everything is just, you slow to a, a stop. And the book says you don't even go through this maybe one time in your life, but maybe many times in your life. You know, you, you have these, these seasons that we go through where you hit a wall. And, uh, and, and then what that should cause you to do is to, to journey inward, to kind of rethink who you are, that a lot of the stuff that's in this book, uh, to, to go deeper with God and then journey outward and then be transformed. And then, and then you kind of complete, the cycle goes again. Uh, but what happens when we're at the wall? Here, look at these things from the book says, when we hit the wall, number one, I am bewildered. Number two, I don't know what God is doing right now. Uh, next slide there, if you can. There we go. I'm bewildered. I don't know what God is doing right now. I am hurt. I am angry. Yes, this is a mystery. God doesn't always explain why or what's happening. I'm very sad right now. Oh, God, why have you forsaken me? And this is a real part of the Christian faith. It's a real part of the Bible, even. It's a real part of almost any character in the Bible. Find me a character in the Bible who, like, they became a follower of God, and then, or they were, you know, a prophet or whatever, and then everything just kind of went awesome. And then they, there's not one, right? It's like this is part of, but we don't talk about it enough, or it's not okay. Like, it's not okay enough to be not okay in our church, I feel like. But, but we all hit these walls, and it has to be okay. Okay, it has to be okay to sit in the back for a little while. No judgment on the people sitting in the back. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I just got to, I'm just barely here right now. You know, I remember, I hit a crisis of faith in 2017, all these things that happened in, in our life. And I remember telling Andy Wingy and Dustin Peckman and Steve in this meeting, I was like, I am a broken man right now. I am just, 
I am like the bottom of the bottom. Like I just can't, I don't, I just can't. I can't even. <laughs> it's just where I'm at. You know, we had all this stuff happen and, and uh, you know, it started, the year started with our, our house. We, we had no heater, so it was really cold. And then we didn't have a heater for a long time. It's a minor thing, but all these other things with the house happened, like the, the balcony was sinking and, and uh, you know, just we had rats, you know, roaches. But then, uh, you know, our car, car window got broken into, Dustin's purse got stolen, my computer got stolen, and, and uh, my best friends moved away. And my mentor, Kevin Maines, who was disciple me for eight years, he died. And uh, just all the stuff, our kids went through crisis. Every one of our kids went through relational crisis, identity crisis, mental illness, uh, just serious, serious, serious stuff. And it was just really a hard, hard year. Uh, Dustin's shoulder, she had frozen shoulder syndrome, incredible pain. The, the worst of it, she couldn't even pick up an onion. She tried to pick up an onion, and it's like she couldn't pick it up because it hurt so bad. And she couldn't sleep in the bed. She had to sleep in this recliner and just all that stuff. But a lot of you, I mean, there's people in our fellowship who have gone through so much worse. I, I even hate to say that. Like, I'm not, like, there's people in our fellowship who've lost spouses, who've lost kids, who've lost, you know, family members, who, who've gone through way more grief and loss uh, and lament than, than that I have. But that is part of, that's part of, our interaction with God, like if you read the Psalms, there's a lot of them who are, that are negative. We don't usually use those up here on Sunday, but they're like more than half are like, where are you, God? Why are you not answering me, God? You know, maybe we should read more of those up here. Uh, like how long, oh Lord, that's the language of lament, how long? Because when you're in it, that's how it feels. Like I literally felt like I, can't, I just have a dark cloud over me all the time. And the only time it goes away, it was weird. The only time it went away is when I just read the Bible. When, it, when I would just read the Bible, it would go away. But otherwise, it's just a dark cloud like all the time. And, and when you're in that, that wall moment, it's so hard. But the, the, I, can't say, I can't say I'm glad for the things that happened, but I can say I'm glad for what I learned. I, I can't say God has changed me forever. And I feel like uh, God has worked something within me. Uh, that is good, and that is part of the process of what he's doing in my life and, and how he wants to use others. And, uh, you know, it only seems like he's not hearing you. Right. It only seems like God is not hearing you. Uh, you think you're alone, and then the, the breakthrough moment is when you go, oh, my gosh, he was here all along. And, and you see that in a lot of the Psalms where you go, oh, now I realize, God, <laughs> you are there. But, but it does seem like he's not hearing you. It talks about that in the book. It seems like, where is God? But, but when you come through on the other side and you know he loves you and he's the good shepherd, he's right with you even when you're swearing mad, even when you're desperately sorrowful, even when you're broken completely emotionally, he loves you. He loves you and he wants to carry you through that wall and carry you on to the next thing in your journey. And so before we take communion, I want to sing a song that I wrote uh, years ago. This is, I have some songs I wrote during 2017, but they're kind of dark. <laughs> this one is a through the wall song. This is like, this is a crisis I went through like in young ministry, like in, in the early 2000s when I wrote this song. And I kind of came through the other side of the wall and I wrote this song. And so uh, I, I hope this can bring, bring you some hope as we, um, as we move forward. Uh, I want to read what Paul what God was told by Paul in verse 9, and then I'll do the song. Paul, sa- uh, Paul says, God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm not there yet. I, I, I'm there with the boast in my weaknesses. I think I'm getting that. I'm not there with the I delight. I, I'm not there. I delight. Oh, this is great. I love this hard crisis. I mean, that, that was Kevin Maines. Like, he honestly loved when you rebuked him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he just loved it. You know, he just loved, he loved hard stuff because he's like, ah, oh, this is a part of my journey. And so that's why God called him home early because, yeah. uh, man, he was just an amazing guy. But, 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 but let's, let's try to have Paul's heart towards these, these moments, towards these things, and towards our weaknesses. Weaknesses do bond us to each other. Nothing bonds you to somebody like going, I just want to tell you how I'm messed up. Right? How do you fight that? How do you have conflict? Can I just tell you my sin? Sure. And then what do you get? Okay, let me tell you mine. You know? And then, like, you don't come away going, oh, man, that's brother. I mean, I thought he was great, but then he told me his sin. <laughs> you know, you come away going, man, that guy's awesome. That guy's amazing. You know? And I, I preached a lot of sermons, but one time I, I, I preached how I said the word a-hole. I said, but the actual word, on the, on, like, in my car, on the freeway because I was so because I was not I was not handling traffic spiritually and um, man I tell you I got more feedback for that sermon than any other sermon ever so so weaknesses and just being honest and open it, it bonds us together let me do this song and then I'll pray for communion and uh, amen All right, it's called He Loves Me. Standing up tall, cause he loves. 
Try it again. <laughs> I told Betty, uh, you got to kind of harden your heart a little bit. <laughs> In the quiet places of my heart is love erases the clouds. Sing it for me. It's got his mind. Makes me want to shout that God, I don't know why I'm emotional, I guess, because I'm talking about family upbringing and everything that made me who I am and going through walls. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of deep stuff. But um, God, I know all of us have a journey uh, like Paul, and uh, I know all of us have uh, ways that we've been knocked off our horse, uh, ways that you've appeared to us, ways that you show us we're wrong. Uh, but ways you point us towards the truth. And, and um, you know, you told Paul you're totally wrong, but I love you and I have a plan for you and I'm sending you somewhere. And all of us have that, God. All of us have some way that you want to use us and uh, ways that you want to make the world better through us. And uh, God, as we take communion. I pray that we can reflect on uh, Christ and that he suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Um, God, that, that, you know, we're on a journey, but we're not alone, that we're looking towards Jesus, and uh, we're looking towards him as the author and perfecter of our faith, the pioneer who's gone before us. And it says in, uh, in 1 Peter 2, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Uh, as it says in Isaiah 53, by his wounds we've been healed. And we were like sheep going astray, but now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Thank you that Jesus did that, that he entrusted himself to you, even in suffering. And I pray that as we suffer, we can trust you, that you do love us, that you are good, and uh, that you do judge justly. And I uh, pray that you bless this time of reflection and communion as we think about Jesus and how he has gone before us into these dark places and come out the other side, not only transformed, but literally resurrected from the dead. And he gives us hope for our futures uh, with him together forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.